Welcome to Connections Podcast on Healthy Gambling and Gaming. I'm co-host Tana Russell, Assistant Director with the Evergreen Council on Problem Gambling. And I'm co-host Julie Hines, Executive Director with the Oregon Council on Problem Gambling. We're full of connections, health, and hope. Our goal is to provide powerful and empowering podcasts that fit into your busy lives, making the most of timely information and fun conversations. Well, like many things 2020, we did have some audio issues recording this episode, so we hope that you'll bear with us. I'm sure you can hear it pretty well, but again, 2020. Thank you for listening. This interview has been divided into two episodes, and you are listening to part one. Oh, man. This is like the all-star rock star 2020 ending in good style episode. We have Dr. Timothy Fong, um, Director of the Gambling Studies Program at UCLA, and we have Dr. Lori Rugel in Ohio, who uh, consults with the Maryland Center for Excellence on Problem Gambling, and both have been in the fields for a very long time. And this is an episode where we just get to converse about this last year. Yeah, and I think I think our listeners should know uh, Dr. Fong world-renowned, amazing, brilliant person that he is. Uh, when we invited him, he said, I'd love to throw some shade at 2020. <laughs> right. And then we bribed Lori with some chocolate, which we will deliver on, by the way. We'll get you some. <laughs> so, That's what got me better. through the year. <laughs> yes. And, and just uh, or, Oregon chocolate's better than Washington chocolate. I'm just saying. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, it is. We've got Theo's. Mm-hmm. We, we've got we've got all sorts of chocolate and we have good beer yeah yeah that's true anyway so thank you both for coming on with us we're we've been really excited about this and having you guys on we appreciate it let's uh Lori you've been doing uh, a lot of like mindfulness work mm-hmm. in general and can you tell us a little bit about how this year has like shifted your work how you have perceived like the the people you work with, how have things shifted for you with COVID? Well, I've been doing, you know, a lot of supervision with groups around the country. And so it feels like I've been following the virus and its impact Mm. Mm. on providers, you know, and the mindfulness has been such an important part of that to recognize how we're all suffering. And and this really unites us in a common humanity and counselors don't necessarily know anymore how to deal with this reality of living in a pandemic than their clients do. So we really are in it all together. And how do we contain this feeling of heaviness and the anxiety and the fear that adds to everything else? Mm-hmm. that's going on in, in a person's life. It's just exacerbated the work of counselors, people trying to recover, um, even with casinos closing down. Mm-hmm. You know, it, the problem still exists um, and the implications for suicidality, mm-hmm. for switching addictions or switching form of gambling addiction or moving to substances or gaming or something else. So 
it's complicated everything, but it's provided opportunities to really understand what we need to cope in the world we're heading into beyond 2020. Mm. A lot of your work is with, typically has been with sort of clinical providers and um, Mm. working with them on working with their clients. Has this year Mm. changed in terms of, you know, you mentioned a little bit earlier about even even the the people doing the work, the helping profession is suffering. Has that, have you noticed your, your work shifting more in that direction this year? Well, it's shifted a lot towards self-care that we really have to pay attention to taking care of ourselves first. It's not an option anymore. We can't skate through. It's really has to be an intentional part of the work we do to take care of ourselves and to really, you know, from a mindful perspective, develop the self-compassion practices how do we acknowledge our own suffering? How do we hold that gently and kindly and realize that we have to balance our lives in terms of caring for ourselves to keep replenishing ourselves? And there's been much more of an interest in that. I've had so many more requests. Talk about self-care. Talk about self-care. What can we do for our providers? Um, it's been grueling you know, in ways that we don't even acknowledge, like just living on screens like this is stressful in unexpected ways. It provides us opportunities, but it's also stressful. That reminds me of something I heard back in probably May, which feels like a lifetime ago now, uh, that someone said, their hypothesis was that we would have a pandemic right after this one, which would be post-pandemic PTSD. Mm. Fast forward another few months, the other day I was doing a training uh, about PTSD and burnout. And I was looking for some current research on the overlap between burnout and PTSD. You know what? Every single article came up in my search, I couldn't even find what I was looking for because it was so bombarded with articles about medical staff, PTSD that are happening right now. Mm-hmm. And it just broke my heart, the reality of you know our heroes that have helped us survive the last year are dealing with um, the, the psychological impact of that. And so what was predicted back in May, I was seeing the research of Uh, just a few weeks ago. Well, you know, and we have to, and and this is really highlighted for me, how gambling addiction and gaming addiction need to be integrated in everything we talk about, Mm -hmm. because it's going to be some ways that people cope with Mm -hmm. the trauma and the stresses that they've been through as a result of the pandemic. Um, You know, and it's, a way others are dealing with loss and grief. You know, just hearing Lori speak, I, I feel so much calmer, you know. <laughs> much more Always. So, uh, I'll, you can send me your bill and uh, maybe you can cover a portion of it. But, you know, um, well, I've known Lori now almost 20 years. You know, I've known Julie, whatever, 10 years or so, and, and Tanya, I mean, a few years. 
I think the thing for me, I'm 48, and this is the first time in my lifetime and in our generation really faced with with profound adversity. And I remember um, going through college and laughing about you know, going to the military. I remember uh, in medical school, there were a number of students who went to um, military and got um, you know military to pay for medical school. And they're like, oh, this is great. You know, I had to pay for medical school. And I remember one guy saying to me, oh, literally, because we're never going back to war and we will never have to face any sort of threat. And right after that, then, you know, 9-11 hit and all that. But I think that's been the biggest challenge, at least for me as a Generation Xer, is that our generation has never faced, you know, adversity like this. We had no Vietnam. We had no World War II. We had no Great Depression. And, you know, one of the films I keep watching over and over and over is Fight Club. And Fight Club talked about that, that we're a generation without purpose. Well, we've been given this purpose this year. And so far, I don't think we've done uh, as well as we could have. The purpose really is to heal the earth, and we haven't done that. And to help the neighbor, and we haven't done that. So that's really tough because when I rewatch Fight Club and I say, you know, toward the end, you know, what makes such a, a movie that stands the test of time? It's, you know, they, they eventually realize they need each other. They eventually do figure out what are we fighting for? But for me, this year taught me just going through the stages of grief, right? Uh, the denial, the anger, the bargaining, the grief, the acceptance. You know, I'm probably at acceptance and I've been there since June, which I think is a little faster than some other folks. Because what I've learned is not to run away from pain or run away from uncertainty or run away from doubt, but to embrace it and say, hey, this is what's going to happen. So I've gone away from using that term, the new normal, that or you know I can't wait for things to come back because that implies that things will get back they won't things won't things will get better things will will be not so great so like just yesterday we saw HBO Max talk about they're going to put all their first run movies out mm-hmm. at the same time and that's genuinely exciting and a year ago that would have been completely unheard of and no one would have thought that would have been okay. so. I think back to where uh, I was and where we were as a field in December, 2019. You know, we weren't talking about any of this, the idea. If I mentioned Doom, no one would know what that is. Mm-hmm. We mentioned internet gaming disorder. People would say, yeah, it's for a few people, no biggie. Mm-hmm. Um, we would say, what, what are the trends in gambling disorder? We would be like, uh, I don't know. A year later, we have our field accelerated rapidly in the, in the lane of telehealth in the lane of 12-step support mm-hmm. online, in the lane of essentially trying to stay connected 24 hours a day. So we're, we're, we got a lot to work to do in 2021 and we're gonna get there. But I think for me, that's, that's how I, I, I really look at it. We have to get through the stages of grief first. Once we do that, we'll be able to help our clients better. And once we use that language, that I find that to be very, very effective. I mean, one of the things, and it's interesting up there in the Northwest, our journey here in California with the gambling, the gambling industry has been so fascinating. We went from shutting everything down. And then literally in April or May, there was concern that we're not going to be out of business ourselves as gambling providers. I didn't see what are people going to gamble on. Mm-hmm. And that was the most fascinating natural experiment. It didn't go away, right? People still gambled. Then we got the casinos back. And now we have the casinos gone again. And just this week in California, shut down the card rooms. And the cities, 
that rely on card room funds function as the city have all said, now our cities are gonna crumble. So that's the first time we've really seen that intersection between public health, gambling and for the first time ever. You know? But thankfully, knock on wood, our treatment support dollars for California are remaining stable, but you know, I, I know the situation isn't always true. So that's a lot of stuff, but I think that's, mm-hmm. that's important for people to hear and how I get through things. So I get through things, watching movies, um, you know, doing the things that listening to a lot of 80s music, you know, it's doing the things that I've always done to enjoy. And when I can't do the things I love, like tennis and like golf, you know, I say, well, they'll come back. What else can I start to pick up? My wife really loved puzzles. She's done maybe 30 puzzles since the beginning. I've done zero. I can't stand those puzzles. Um, but I'm curious, what, what, what other kind of hobbies have have everyone else picked up that they didn't a year ago that is bringing you some sense of peace and quiet and calmness. And that's, I think is our hope is that if there is a positive thing that people have put into their life from this, it is creative hobbies, right? So that they might have something that will outlast this, time this phase that we're in and maybe continue to do whatever their their new hobby is of course what we don't want is for that hobby to end up being something addictive or destructive right <laughs> which is also a very good possibility or, or or could happen in some in some cases and so available yeah and so available, and so right available. I mean, you know when when I, tim was talking about uh the casinos shutting down and what are people going to do to gamble and and obviously we're in this profession we're aware that internet gaming is coming you know internet gambling is coming and sports gambling is kind of legalizing everywhere but this sort of just like put the gas on the fire right and so people maybe maybe not were not able to go to casinos but then they started maybe playing social casino games or they started um you know looking at alternative methods of uh you know, virtual sports, things like that. So, um, Lori, you've you've done a lot of work with folks this year. What are, what have you noticed in terms of of trends there and and hobbies? Well, I think that's exactly it. What you know, the trend was uh, a lot of people. You know, the helplines went silent because the casinos were closed. Um, many clients in treatment said, "Well, the casinos closed. I'm good. I don't have to worry about it." But then kind of like the incubation period of the virus, about two weeks or a few weeks later, they'd realized they had all these emotional reactions going on because they weren't going to the casino or they had already switched to online forms of gambling or to lottery forms of gambling um, so that the issues didn't go away and they still needed help with those. And uh, the underlying problems were bubbling to the surface as often happens when somebody stops gambling cold turkey. Um, So it's been an interesting process. And, you know, I think what's really important in terms of, you know, we can talk about, oh, hobbies, but what struck me is that the virus brought to the forefront that it hit the most vulnerable populations. Yes. The same populations that problem gambling impacts the most. Mm -hmm. And the need for that public health approach to address the impact of gambling 
on our most vulnerable populations that get hit by everything that comes down the pike. Mm -hmm. And those are the populations that maybe don't have resources to start hobbies. Right. Yeah. You yeah. know, who take public transportation and can't bop around the city finding a new hobby. And say, you know, parents, or, right? They're yeah. trying to figure out their kids in school. Yeah. So, you know, I think, it, and it's pointed to systemic racism. And how is gambling, not just problem gambling, but gambling integrated with our system of systemic racism that doesn't give people of color access to avenues to success so that gambling looks like their only hope. Yeah. You know, and so we can't ignore gambling when we're talking about systemic racism and we have to have honest conversations with the industry about how do you perpetuate racist alternatives to success in our society. And that's a very difficult conversation. It's not demonizing the industry, but let's get honest about this. Yeah. You know, yeah. if gambling is my only hope, something's wrong with the system that gives that person only that one hope. You know, and that's something I, that's, yeah. that's uh, obviously we've seen systemic racism really come up this year with Black Lives Matter, with a lot of uh, movements that this year has really drawn a lot of attention to. And to speak yeah. to your point about vulnerable populations and that sort of, um, you know, that the higher risk of addiction. Tim, you work a lot with um, understanding the, uh, in addition to gambling with uh, with cannabis and with opioids. What sort of what have you noticed this year in terms of, of, of those trends as well? Uh, all sorts of, I'll speak globally, you know, the first thing is, um, obviously we've seen the, the intersection between substance use, cannabis, alcohol, opioids, and tobacco continuing to be not so much promoted, but allowable and acceptable. So when you have cannabis and alcohol deemed as essential operations and they can be delivered to your home, you just see that synergy. Um, I just did a talk earlier this morning talking about how I've not seen any alcohol or any public health measures addressing how alcohol uh, or cannabis or opioid use can actually increase your risk for the virus. You know, and it makes sense. You drink, you don't sleep as well, you know, you do impulsive judgment, you may not wear your mask, and we don't hear those messaging about the relationship. Same thing with gambling. But the, the larger trend, the three major trends I, I think are most concerning and interesting to me are number one, uh, from the gambling industry side, just the enticements. I've seen profound level enticements brought on by our gaming industry to players. Um, I've had a number of patients say free play offers of $1,000, $1,500, $2,000 to go to casinos for a weekend, uh, all expenses paid. And they're low level players. They're not you know, traditional whales. So I've seen that. So it's the industry saying we need to do what we need to do to quote survive at the same time. I just don't see any regulations. Uh, it seems like when you're giving someone almost $3,000 worth of merchandise, uh, you know, that is a beyond an enticement that that then almost become a seductive coercion. I've seen that. Yeah, predatory. Seen, uh, so many of our clients dip into the world of financial trading online uh, with mm. mixed results, you know, I've had a number of patients who've lost millions of dollars uh, in the stock market, thinking pandemic, stock market sinks, 
I see value and they, they pour tons of cash into it when the stock market was low and no one predicted that would boom and come back, right? And the same mentality, it's the same disease, right? But even more so are the traders, I encourage clinicians to look at that bet against the market. So those are the short sellers. So mm -hmm. for uh, people who aren't financial uh, gurus, these are people who are betting that the market will go down. So it's like the people in crash, you know, they bet against the dice. So instead of, let's say uh, the stock's worth 100, I sell, okay, Julie, I'm gonna bet it's gonna go down to 50, but I don't give Julie any money. And then when it goes down to 50, I gotta give it my money to Julie paying it back at that original value of 100. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a big area of concern. I think we as gambling specialists need to do more to learn about the financial markets because they don't close. Like casinos, they're 24 seven. And they, although they're regulated, people can get online very easily and put you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And the third part, again, I would emphasize, and I have not seen this, is that the brick and mortar gambling establishment be used as public health um, promoter. So when it first struck with the pandemic, I said to the state, well, why aren't we using the casinos as COVID testing sites? Why aren't we using them as places of contact tracing? Because the first day the casinos reopened here in California, it was like a two hour wait to get in. And I thought, well, this is a perfect example where we should be using the intersection between gambling and public health to impact the pandemic. Give out masks, have education, uh, vaccine distribution, understand. But when we said at, at UCLA, oh, let's go out to the casinos and collect data, we couldn't because of the risk of the virus. Uh, who was going to pay for that? And I couldn't, in good conscience, send my research team out there to expose them. And so we couldn't get data. And I think that's a real missing partnership. And I hope 2021 we could figure out how to do that better because, I, you know, the, I, other countries like Sweden and, and, and Singapore, you know, and other European countries, casinos are part of the community and casinos can actually influence public health. And again, since we in the field aren't physically on site anymore, I think that's a big missing element. I, you know, I still hear stories of casinos, although they're not packed, there's still, you know, hundreds and thousands of people going through its doors every day. And I, I can't even say, someone asked me the other day, do you believe gamblers are at higher risk to contract COVID? I have no idea. And, and people are like, well, they're running around going into the carbons and all that. I said, well, if they are, we have no data. And that's part when, when they shut down the card rooms, they said, oh, um, they have to you know, be at risk. I said, there's no data to prove that. We haven't collected anything. So anyway, those are some basic, you know, a few options I'm noticing. And that, that should serve as a roadmap for us in 2021. How do we reduce some of those enticements? How do we train ourselves more to understand the financial industry? Because it's going to be continually very labile, I think, for stocks. And then how do we partner with casinos to say, hey, let's do work in COVID um, and um, you know, protection and, and enhancement? Yeah, and I think moving forward, even after we may get a vaccine, we're not going to have a vaccine for the financial consequences of the virus. 
and mm. people are still going to be unemployed and people are still going to be financially strapped. And that's a risk factor yeah. for looking towards gambling to solve those financial oh. problems, whether it's online investing when people really don't have the background to understand what they're getting themselves into or buying more lottery tickets or, you know, sports, whatever form it takes it's going to be seductive when I'm still not employed, when the economy hasn't kicked back in, right. when there are people left behind. So I, I think we really have to um, not only beef up awareness that gambling isn't necessarily a solution yeah. here, yeah. Um, but, but take responsibility as a community. And it certainly has pointed out our difficulties in being our brother's keeper, as well, you know, and compassion for all of us, yeah. you know, whether it's wearing a mask as a compassionate exercise for not exposing other people to the virus, as well as protecting myself or realizing that our economy, we sink or swim together, not just focusing on you know, 1% of 1% doing well, but the least of us needing to do well and have access to doing well. Um, I, I'm also fascinated with this, you know, the demand for gambling, right? Uh, many of our clients with gambling disorder, the reasons are the same as they always were uh, this year, but it's the social recreational gambler who enjoys it. Uh, that's the, the person I, I haven't been able to ask and find out, you know, what's the reason you're still coming out in a pandemic to go to the tables? And the ones who are not incurring harm yet, but are incurring risk and at the same time are, are putting themselves at risk by being out, but at the same time, or, or, or is that keeping them healthy by being out? And, and those are the, the, the data points. We have nothing. And I don't know if any of you have talked to those folks in line or the casual, the recreational, the social gambler who is probably seeing the gambling disorder PSA a little bit less frequently, or maybe they're paying less attention, you know, um, and all that. But it's that person. I just want to ask, you know, how come you're here today? What, what are you doing here today? Is this a good thing for you? Or is this a, an fu kind of thing to the world, you know. What 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 are you doing? Because in like Ohio or in uh, yeah. Oregon or in Washington, the casinos they're they're still open, right? Or there's a mixed bag. Yeah. So here in Oregon, the uh, we have video lottery retailers everywhere. There's thousands of them across the state, and they are arguably considered uh, a lot of people call them mini casinos, and those have been closed because of governor's orders. But not unlike many states, we have tribal casinos. And those, as you know, are the sovereign government. And so uh, I think what we've seen is various have stayed open, some have closed. Uh, we just had one closed down the other day because they had an outbreak. Uh, but by and large, to your point, Tim, I wonder, you know, having, oh, this is totally anecdotal and only spoke with a few people who are social gamers, gamblers, is that they go to the casino because it's literally the only place where they can go to get something to eat to get somebody to drink and feel like they have some sort of sense of normalcy. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know how their gambling behavior is reflected in there and, and what the ramifications will be if they're gonna move along a continuum at all. But, um, but that's what I'm hearing. I'm curious what others have heard. 
I was on a call the other day with um, someone who said that in their state, when the casinos reopened, their customer base was down by a rather large percentage. They just didn't have as many people coming as they used to, but their revenue was down by only a small percentage. Mm. The people who were coming were, were spending a lot Right. And I, and they kind of wondered, is that because the people who are coming are those who were already at risk or dealing with problem gambling or gambling disorder, or is it social recreational uh, people who used to play socially recreational now because of some of the things like what Lori was talking about earlier, this now seems like um, their only choice or or one of the only choices. And now maybe they have moved along that continuum possibly. But again, we don't have the exact data. It is all anecdotal. You see the trends, but you you don't know uh, the causality behind it. I had a a lady this week, a middle-aged African-American lady I'd seen for years, and I really adore her. We have a great time working together. Uh, She had a relapse this month because of online loans. And again, those online lending loans, uh, she saw it came in her mailbox. Uh, she thought, oh, the holidays are coming. This is an opportunity I could pay off my car note. Uh, I can then get some uh, gifts for my, my grandchildren. She had not been able to uh, take on a second uh, job because of COVID. And within uh, four hours of applying, she was able to get $2,600 wired into her bank account. I don't think we, we understand that as clinicians, that, uh, how quick that is. So um, she's just a Tuesday, $2,600. And then Wednesday morning, she said, that's the first time in literally a year that the gambling urges return. And it wasn't from stress. It wasn't from the COVID. It was just money. Mm-hmm. It was just having money in her account. And then she's like, well, I went and I lost it all. And it was in the span of 45 minutes. So again, it's a stark reminder, and we all do this work. And sometimes even for me, even doing it after 20 years, I have to remind myself how fast and rapid gambling disorder can return mm-hmm. and how there's so many lanes for us as prevention specialists and treatment providers to talk about. And I had not talked to her about shutting off those predatory loans. In fact, I said to her, why did you even, did you seek it out? She said, no, I didn't. The reason she got the online loan offer because she had just paid off an online loan. And so Mm -hmm. that business practice that they do is is light years ahead of us. So, and I didn't even think about, well, about, oh, you gotta, there's no self-exclusion from online loans, right? There's, and even if you tell them, don't send me any more offers, the only other thing I could have thought of, she had to literally change her email and change all her contact information. So we know that industry has also um, continued to run unabated and, and probably during the pandemic has continued to done very, very well as people were just starved for capital. So, I mean, it's, it's really remarkable. Thank you for listening to part one of this episode. Don't forget to tune in for part two. Thanks for listening. You can find us on the ECPG website at evergreencpg.org, also on Twitter, 
Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. And in Oregon, you can find us at the OCPG website at OregonCPG.org. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And please know that if you or a loved one is seeking help with problems caused by gambling, you are not alone. Help is available. And here's where we're going to give you some resources. If you are in Washington, you can call the Washington Problem Gambling Helpline 24-7. Call or text 1-800-547-6133. Or you can chat through our website, evergreencpg.org on your computer, phone, or tablet. And if you're in Oregon, you can contact the Oregon Problem Gambling Helpline 24-7 by calling 1-877-MY-LIMIT. That's 1-877-695-4648. Or you can head to Oregon Problem Gambling Resource website at opgr.org. There you can get resources, chat, and text. Help is available for the person struggling with gambling as well as anyone affected by gambling. Join us next episode and stay Stay connected. connected.